0: All right, welcome everybody this is Derek Bodner joined this week by Rich Hoffman and Mike O'Connor the full uh the full staff over at the athletic Philadelphia how you doing guys
1: I'm good man the uh quick turnaround for this Toronto series though
0: yeah we could use we could use another day or two to pump out our mediocre content but this is what we have to deal with this is what we have to deal with
2: uh, it is we can' we can't complain too much I mean what Three full days off. I mean, the more than more than most people get. We, we're pretty. We have, ha- our sun-
0: we have our Sunday night uh, free, which Rich and I are very excited for.
1: And we're also excited that we didn't have to go back to Brooklyn for Game Six because, yes. like, look, if yep. you're, you're going to journalists aren't supposed to root for teams, I think we've we've done a good job of getting that kind of that fandom kind of beaten out of us. Uh, I'm rooting for myself though, and I didn't want to go back to Brooklyn oh, I if can. they were going to win the series, <laughs> yeah. so
0: like like last year i was rooting hard i was shipping hard for miami and uh and we got that this year certainly not rooting for a game six and certainly to have off on as many sunday nights as we possibly can and we are so far two for two so i'm i'm very excited also excited doing excited
2: for three three trips to toronto in the next couple of weeks seven games
0: you know what i have never been to toronto Me either um I'm excited to go there. I'm excited to see the city. I don't know how much of the city I'm going to have a chance to see, but in terms of the location, I am pretty cool with also. It's not a far plane ride at all. Um, it's, I think, I think it's closer than like Charlotte for me. So that was not, uh, you know, it's not going to be the most grueling of travel schedules, but nobody really cares about a couple of sports writers whining about travel schedules. So let's move on to the topic at hand. Um, You know, after when we did the last podcast after game two, there was a lot of uncertainty. You had the Sixers losing game one. They came out. They were getting outplayed in the first half of game two. Brett Brown had his motivational halftime speech and everything has been rosy since then. It really is amazing how a week can change the pulse of a fan base. And I say that knowing that the week in the wrong direction here could change that you know viewpoint very quickly as well. But the way they responded, I think my biggest takeaway because it's hard to really take too much away from a team that you were supposed to dominate. And you know, for as much as we talked about Joel Embiid and how the the Nets had no answer for him, boy did that turn out to be true. Ended up averaging more than a point per minute in the playoffs. Uh, I think he was the leader in all playoff performers in. Uh, box plus minus and win shares per minute. He really dominated. Um, but I think what I really took away is that every time they sort of had their backs up against the wall, every time there was an inflection point in this series, they seemed to respond well. Whether that was halftime of a game two and Bead's absence of game three, the fight in game four when they were down eight points midway through the third quarter. And then against what should have been a, a desperate Brooklyn team there in game five, there are a lot of different areas where the, the the series could have sort of flipped and they never really allowed it to.
2: Yeah. I totally agree with that. And I, I think, I think that stands out the most to me with Ben Simmons, um, especially after, you know, his game one and bouncing back with huge games, two and three. Um, and I think you just saw like, we've talked all year about how the Sixers don't have a guy to defend quick point guards um, and just to pressure ball handlers at the point of attack. And it's almost like when you just throw Ben Simmons feet to the fire and you say, we need you to defend D'Angelo Russell and do everything you can deny him, send him right, get up under him. I mean, that's just like, he was able to do that. And I think that that was a really positive sign for him. Um, You know, like you said, back against the wall, not, not necessarily back against the wall, but just under a lot of pressure and, just, you know, under the microscope to like a huge degree, Ben really stepped up in that sense. His
1: defense on Russell was fantastic. And I think if you're a Nets fan, uh it kind of would make me a little bit queasy if you weren't already about the the D'Angelo Russell restricted free agency. Um and I think that'll be interesting in the Toronto series to um, you know to see who Ben guards because they have obviously a different different option a point different type of point guard, different uh you know, different guys on the wing. I yeah, I I think that was the main takeaway from the series. We knew that the Sixers were better and more talented. I think we all expected them to win. Um but we also knew that the Nets, even even with their their talent level, presented them problems with those those guards that can can work in the pick and roll and I I'll give credit to Brett Brown like he did not panic after game 1. Uh he he talked about this before last night's game. I wrote that in my piece today on, on the Athletic. He uh he said that I'm very comfortable with what we're doing defensively, chasing Russell over screens and Dinwiddie over and, and sticking to the to the three-point shooters. Now, the Nets were just awful last night and missed basically every floater and mid-ranger you you can imagine, but that that paid off eventually. And yeah, it uh it turned into what uh I think I saw J E Skeets called it a douchebag sweep last night where you uh <laughs> where you give the other team hope by winning the first game and then and then take the next four. It was yeah, you know, for a for a five game series where the Sixers really kinda dominated them in three games, there were still some some pressure moments. But uh Yeah, I I don't think there's too much to take from that series moving forward, but uh it, it was, you know, I, I think it speaks pretty well about where the Sixers kind of, you know, are as a team and their chemistry and everything like that.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, they were midway through that, that game four on Saturday was Saturday, Saturday, um, where they were a quarter and a half away from tying that series up at two to two where they were up eight without Jimmy Butler in the game. And basically over the next, about 23 minutes of game time, the last 18 minutes of game four. And then the first five minutes of game five, the Sixers took what could have been a competitive, scary series and made it a laugher. Like it was over in 23 minutes of play. Um, you know, Rich was I, at one point, Rich leaned over to me and like the end of the first quarter last night. And he's like, hey, did you see that? And I'm like, nah, man, I'm like nose deep in Game of Thrones reading here. I'm trying to catch up <laughs> because that game, there's just no point. There's no, nothing else to take from that game. I had no Concerned that the Sixers or that the Nets were going to come back, and it was you know there's nothing we could take away from what they were going to do from there on out. It was garbage time five minutes into that one, which I've never seen before. But when you start the game off on a 23 to two run or whatever it was, you know that that's the kind of night that you have. So for them to respond the way that they did, for Embiid to play the way that he did, like you said for Ben Simmons, who came out and had a lot of eyeballs on him after that first game, a lot of people who were looking at a carryover effect from last year's you know, series against the, uh, the Boston Celtics for him to come out and commit to that level of defensive attention and just a consistency that he overplayed Russell's left hand, that he forced him right, that he defended him far away from the basket that he fought over screens. Like that's something that we don't see from Ben all the time. And we always talk about his potential as a defender. And to be fair, like for a player who didn't defend at all in college, he's been a, he's, his, his efforts been very good. But there was just an attention to detail that, that was really impressive. And, you know, it's going to be a different series against Toronto. Specifically, offensively, it's going to be a very different series for him against Toronto. But in terms of what you were looking to see against what had been a pretty tough matchup in the regular season, I, I mean, they just responded very well.
2: Yeah. And I think, like like you were touching on there a little bit, there's just a world of difference between not only Ben Simmons, but also Jimmy Butler... Between the Sixers' defense, when those guys are sort of locked in, and when those guys are fully locked in, when they're maximizing totally. the defensive end, and I think both of those guys were really, really, really good last night and throughout the series. Um, and you just see, like, like the, both of those guys have a high level of variance. I would say they they both have a tendency to like not give a shit when it's like a Monday night game in New Orleans, um, but when the you know when we see them. In the playoffs, and they really lock in. You're like, oh, okay. This is how the Sixers can be an elite defensive team when they have these two guys really fully going 100 and just swarming around the perimeter.
1: I I got a comment on my article today about Billy Lang and, and Jim O'Brien making a world of difference. No, no, it's no, it's, not. it's, it's, it's <laughs> Ben Simmons and Jimmy Butler trying and having Embiid back there. Did uh did you guys think Embiid looked a little better physically? That that really is the only thing I want. I can take from this series i think yeah do you think he he's moving in the right direction physically
0: from what we saw in game five
1: yes well it's, yeah, it's a great totally thing do. that he played 20 minutes because they're gonna need him to play like high 30s probably in this series um
0: yeah yeah he's not yeah. gonna play 24 minutes a night in uh in this one that's for sure yep
2: what do you guys think happens no, no, I don't. We don't need to jump right into the Toronto series. But what do you think happens at backup center in that series? Because I, I, I have no idea. I don't think so you can I, play Boban.
0: I saw a tweet from I think it was ninety seven point five. They had Brett Brown on this afternoon, and I think he said, you know, if if Boban struggles, we have to be ready to go to Bolden, and he has to be the first option if Boban struggles. So it sounds like from you got to pull him out
1: of the doghouse. <laughs> yeah. After <laughs> well, that it game sounds four like, performance.
0: It said, well, ooh, that was a that was a <laughs> so it sounds like from that they're going to go to Bobon first and have a quick hook on him. Um, you know, there's a lot of debate over whether or not in the, the previous series against the Nets whether or not Bobon should be the primary backup center, and for, especially for the first three or so games, I thought Bobon played really well. And it's always been, a. I mean, I remember Mike and I had a podcast a couple of weeks ago where we talked about this. And it's always tough for me to really sort of promote one direction or the other because I don't really buy either of them. And I think we saw that in Game Four when Brett had Bolden out there for about three minutes, and I think he made about five missed defensive rotations and bricked the three.
2: <laughs> it, it was in a one claim. of the worst three-minute stretches
0: of basketball I've there, ever seen. There was and there Brett was one.
1: There was one play where he got back, or uh, Reddick got back cut, and of course the whole series he was forcing Joe Harris to back cut, and Bolden was like guarding Jared Allen like from like long two range, and Reddick, Reddick is the best when somebody else screws up defensively. Like he'll just throw his hands up and be like, "What the hell, man? Like where, where were well, you?"
0: It's like the most important principle of top locking. Like you can't top lock if Bolden's going to be standing out at the three point line. It's it's impossible. But Brett just, he was irate. Like you could see, I, we were probably a hundred feet away from Brett Brown, but he just went to Monty Williams and I could see Brett's face turn red from a hundred feet away. He was furious and Greg Monroe came in and that was the end of the Jonah Bolden at the five experiment in that series, or at least until garbage time came, which ended up not being too long after that. Um, but I do, there's still a part of me, as much as I don't trust Bolden's decision-making, he's still the only one who can make some of the rotations that they're going to need him to make. Like, it's great that maybe Boba knows where to be, but in this series, and as we get progressively deeper into the postseason, I just can't see how he's physically going to be there most of the time.
1: Yeah. As yeah. I do my research on the fly, I'm looking at cleaning the glass right now. Abaka, um, 48% of his shot attempts come from the mid-range. And he shoots 50% on them. So not as much of a threat from three, but really an elite mid-range shooter. And that's, you know, that's, that's tough for Boban too. Uh, I'll be curious to see. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Mike.
2: I was just going to say like Toronto, they might, I don't know what they'll do with like how they'll stagger the minutes with Gasol and Ibaka, but if they're bringing Gasol off the bench, and obviously you assume that they'll want to match a lot of those minutes with Embiid, but like, do you trust Jonah Bolden to guard Marcus Gasol? I mean, I think he'll just foul out in four minutes. Like, I, I, there's just like a lot of complicating things. I mean, yes, like Boban absolutely cannot play against a stretch five like that, but Bolden also can't guard Gasol at all. And at that point, it's like, do you call on Greg Monroe? I've, I, I, I don't know. Well, it's a good thing Mike Scott's healthy going into the series
1: too, so we know they have that option to play small. Uh,
0: so I I, I, I guess just to get this out there, we're recording this before there's been any sort of update on Mike Scott
1: had a heel injury. I think he, uh, you know, he walked right to the, uh, to the Sixers bench, which isn't a good sign. Cause as we know, Mike Scott ain't no, uh, I'm not going to say it, but, uh, you know, he's not a guy who you would think is going to fake an injury or, or be overly, overly cautious. um, so yeah, I mean, that's that's key, their option to play small. I, I don't know what they do. Uh, I, I would guess that Gasol's minutes are pretty much going to match Embiid's. I think Embiid's had a lot more success against Ibaka than Gasol, and that's going to be a big part of the series. But yeah, I, it's a it's a great question, and I, I will say that I, I got that prediction right, that I thought Brooklyn was going to be a decent Boban series. And outside of the be, uh, beginning of Game 4, I thought he was pretty good, but... Now with these guys who can stretch them out a little bit, it's uh, it makes that choice a little harder for Brett.
2: There are no good choices. No, no, I
0: agree. I agree, and I think you. Ha- I think you have to have a shorter leash for Boban for sure. Um, and Gasol has been starting, so you can't try to match um, Boban and Gasol's minutes. Although G- Gasol can shoot from the perimeter, there's there's not a great, there, there's no good decisions. There really aren't. That's a perfect way of putting it. Um,
1: it's like I was saying, I mean, you're going to have to extend Joe's minutes. That's just, (laughs) that's the best solution here. And well, good thing. He's perfectly healthy too.
0: All right. So I, I guess this is where we have to talk about Ben Simmons and not defensively uh, because I think we all agree that he deserves a lot of credit for the Sixers being here and advancing beyond the nets, but against the, uh, against the Raptors, he has not had a lot of success against that team, guys. He's not had a lot of success.
1: They have a pretty good defender, I think. Uh, I'm blanking on, on who it is. But uh you know, it's it's funny. Ben against the the best teams, I, I kind of felt like Boston last year, it was like a, a strength in numbers type of thing. Like if I remember, am, am I right about this? They were guarding him with like Marcus Morris a lot. Sometimes it was Horford who did a good job on him, but that kind of felt like a team thing. Uh, that that felt like, you know, a bunch of good defenders. For me, if when when he plays against Toronto and turns the ball over six or seven times a game, it's just Leonard sizing him up and kind of being one step ahead of him, which is terrifying. Um, yeah, I, I he's certainly going to get Leonard on him the entire series. Do you guys think there's any way he can be
2: somewhat effective? Like, can they get creative? In any way, I, I'm not optimistic, man, but, um,
0: so, so on the season, when Kawhi Leonard was on the court, Ben Simmons averaged 9.7 turnovers per 100 possessions, which is about two thirds of what you would want a team to average. He averaged a little 4.7 per 100 possessions on the season. So his turnover rate more than doubles when Kawhi's on the court. And that's really been the biggest problem in the games that they played. Like he's shooting 59% from the field. One of the games, he was pretty much a bystander. Like He hasn't been the highest volume scorer. scorer only 15.9 points per 100 possessions, which is low. Um, but really, the turnovers have killed them. I think if you're looking for a reason to be optimistic, none of those games came with Tobias Harris. You now have Jimmy Butler a little more of a focal point of the team's offense. You have less, um, less TJ McConnell. Well, no TJ McConnell when the Sixers had their healthy assortment of wing players and bench players last series. So maybe a little better spacing by no TJ, a little more ball handling responsibility falling on Jimmy Butler. And you just don't have to rely on Ben quite as much, or or, or maybe even Jimmy Butler can be so effective that he will draw Kawhi Leonard at times. So maybe that will let Ben not turn the ball over quite as much as he has been, but it has not been a, it has not been a favorable matchup for the Sixers in the regular season.
2: And, and here's the other thing, like, as much as Kawhi just steals his lunch money uh, on the perimeter, like you, you're just going to notice that matchup all the time because whenever Ben doesn't have the ball, Kawhi just going to be cheating off him and making all kinds of plays. Like I watched that uh, the game in December where the Sixers played in Toronto, and like Kawhi had a couple of blocks just from roaming off of Simmons, and it's like man, like he's such a terror when he's off the ball and he can do so many things. It's just like you're going to really feel him when Simmons has the ball and you're going to really feel him when Simmons doesn't have the ball. Like all the time, it's just such a nightmare matchup for the Sixers. Um, it's it's going to be rough, man.
1: It, it's a tough matchup too, because I think even against some of the best teams, the, the beauty of the Sixers starting lineup, which we've talked about a lot, is that usually there's going to be a mismatch. Usually there's going to be a D'Angelo Russell on Jimmy Butler or, or something like that. Toronto, not so much. Uh they have really good defenders kind of all over the place. I'll be be kind of interested to see who they put on Reddick, whether it'll be Danny Green or uh or Lowry, and then kind of who they put on Butler and and Harris as well. Um but you know, their their starters are uh are kind of well equipped to switch and you know, muck up the paint and and do all those things. I, I know they just played Orlando, but they really just, I mean, they, they look pretty scary defensively in that series. And uh yeah, that, that's the other thing. It, it's not just Ben. It, it, they have a great defender against Ben, but it, it's that, you know, they can't really look elsewhere to find an obvious mismatch. And that's, that's, that's a problem with this starting five. I think, uh did I, did I see this get tweeted out the other day? Derek, uh, the Toronto starting five has been a, basically as good as the Sixers' starting five in the playoffs. And um which which is to say really really good
0: well the sixers in the playoffs uh doubled up their opponent <laughs> like i think they outscored the nets 141 to 70 when they were on the floor uh so i would be surprised if the raptors starting five was that good but i'm sure they've been good i'll, I'll look that up while we're talking but i would be look. stunned if they doubled up i'll magic. do
1: it. I, I asked the question um
0: now, the downside of that is, is the Nets actually outscored the Sixers when any other lineup other than the entire starting five was on the floor. Now, there's some noise to that, like, game two and game five had a lot of garbage time. Game five was three quarters of garbage time. Game, game two, you know, pretty much the entire fourth quarter and, and part of the third. So some of that, like, starting lineup off, Sixers get outscored is related to it being garbage time. Uh, and when the Sixers really needed to execute without Embiid, they did that in game three. But it still just shows that the Sixers need a monstrous performance from that starting five to really, uh, really carry the team. And if they can't, you know, if Toronto can come even close to matching that, that's going to be a problem.
1: Okay, they weren't. They weren't quite as good. They had a the Sixers had a six (laughs) plus sixty (laughs) two point two net rating against the Nets. That starting lineup, Toronto was only forty six. But yeah, (laughs) we're.
0: Which leading up to the last game, it probably was yeah. pretty close. Maybe that's where you saw it. Maybe it was like tied before that. You know, twenty-five to three run or whatever it was in game one or game five.
2: I guess you know the the mo on Toronto the past several years has been the bench mob, and everybody just talks about how deep they are. But that's really not the case so much anymore. I mean, they obviously still have Van Fleet and Ibaka. Norman Powell's played pretty decently, but. Outside of that, like they're totally thin. I mean, they go eight deep, and
0: I like I uh, like how you say totally thin. And they have Van Vliet, um, Ibaka, and Powell <laughs> off the bench, and we're I'm, like, I'm God, I hope we I hope we that. don't lose Mike Scott.
2: Right, right, right. That's yeah, true. But right after that, they have Jody Meeks, Sixer legend Jody Meeks. Um, <laughs> he, he's he's their ninth guy, so it's not like it's not like they're running ten deep here. Um, but still, uh, it, it's hard. To feel very confident in the Sixers bench in this series, like you're going to have to go stretches with James Ennis on Kawhi Leonard, and you're going to have to go stretches with um, God, I, you might have to play TJ and to guard Van Fleet for stretches. I'm not, I'm not really sure, but I mean, like I, I, when I watched that game earlier today, that game in December, there were stretches where the Sixers had Firk on Quarkmaz guarding Kawhi Leonard, like not switched onto him, just playing lineups where cork and leonard were matched up on each other and it's just like man you were you still worry about how the sixers bench is going to guard anybody
1: yeah um i i actually just did a podcast with the uh the athletic toronto's blake murphy he actually thought that the sixers bench could do okay if uh if bobon or, or they could figure out the center spot because he he kind of was saying that he thought van vliet if you run that lineup that they have been with butler at point guard and essentially you're you're really big and switchable that that can kind of you know limit the damage he does i'll be i'll be curious to see i mean that would be that would be massive if they have a series where their their bench isn't getting destroyed but yeah and that's like like you said the cork mass thing it's kind of why you look at this regular season series and you can take some things like you can take uh the Kawhi on simmons is going to be a struggle probably and Uh, you know, things like that. But then you also say like, all right, well, they're not going to be giving the cork minutes in the playoffs. Like they, they are deeper now and they are, we'll see what's up with Mike Scott, but they are at least, you know, they have everybody playing. Um, And I I guess that's the hope is, as the Sixers are concerned that, that they're gelling at the right time.
0: Yeah, no, the bench is definitely better than the last time these teams have played. uh, And that's part of what makes forecasting the series so difficult. There's just been a lot of change. Since the last time these two teams met. All right, before we get into some keys of the series and predictions, a real quick word from this week's sponsor, Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, options, ETFs, and cryptocurrencies, and to do so all commission-free. While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees at all, so you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Plus, there's no account minimum deposit required to get started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for experts and newcomers alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections such as 100 Most Popular. With Robinhood, you can learn to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of Sixers Beat a free stock like Apple, Ford or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at sixers.robinhood.com. Once again, that's sixers.robinhood.com. All right, moving on, keys to the series outside of the obvious, which is Ben Simmons.
2: Hmm. Um let's let's start with this. The Embiid-Gasol matchup for sure is a big one. Um I remember like the, the Sixers have they played the Grizzlies twice this year, obviously. Embiid averaged uh, 14.5 points a game on like 28% shooting. It was his lowest total against any team. And I think a lot of that was because of Gasol. Um, obviously, Gasol has been and remains to be one of the best low post defenders in the league. But, you know, you just expect Joel Embiid to do Joel Embiid things. And um, I think w- one of the interesting things will be like how willing um, the Raptors are to let that matchup play out one-on-one. I mean, will they even shade off of like, will they let Kawhi stray off of Simmons a little bit just to give some additional help? Um, Will they send someone after one dribble onto Embiid? I'm not really sure, but I mean, I really think that when you look throughout the matchups in this series, like if, if we like, we talk about the, the Ben Simmons and Kawhi matchup, but, if you're getting that in in addition to Embiid averaging like less than 20 points a game on pretty bad efficiency because of Gasol, the Sixers are in a lot of trouble. So I just think a, a lot of this series hinges on Embiid's ability to figure Gasol out. I remember
1: one of those games. I was at it. It was uh, it was in Memphis, and uh, I, I will say in Joel's defense, he had just played like it, it was a game that he basically stole for the Sixers. The night before, um, again, gets the Hornets where he played an overtime game and he had to play the next night because that was the day they made the Jimmy Butler trade and he was exhausted.
2: And they had like a quarter of their team, right? Oh, they all they played like 40
1: minutes. Like like Fultz played a lot of minutes that night. Corkmaz played a lot of minutes that night. So maybe you can throw that away. But yeah, Gasol is a, is a good defender. That That's how they win the series. They win it by Joel Embiid being... The best player in in the series, like you, Mike. I am very curious to see. I mean, Al Horford. They let they let him play against Joel one on one, and Joe didn't beat him last season. Um, yeah, and and outside of Simmons, it, it'll be it'll be interesting. I um, how do they defend Redick? Are they going to allow? You know, are, are they not going to top lock? Are they going to allow them to play the two man game? I think Redick has had some decent games against these guys. One of the games he was definitely sick for. Uh, th- that'll be something. I-, I think for me, we just, we already talked about Ben Simmons on the offensive end. What do you guys think the Sixers do matchup wise defensively? Because to me, Simmons has done really well against opposing point guards. You know, we just saw him do really well, forcing D'Angelo Russell to his, his right and chasing around screens and, and forcing a lot of contested jumpers. Do they just, go apples for apples and play- stick him on Lowry or do they switch Jimmy on the Lowry because it's, it's kind of a more physical matchup and, and they would rather have Ben play Kawhi. What do you guys think?
0: I mean, clearly JJ goes on Danny green. Yes. Like that's pretty clear. Um, and Tobias goes on, uh, Pascal. Like that seems pretty cut and dry too. I think it's a good question. Um, you know, I think in theory, you would say Ben on Kawhi just because he's a little more, he's a little longer, a little more physical. Um, not really physical, but theoretically like he's, he's built a little bit better. Um, I'd love to see those numbers. Does anybody have those numbers? We're, we're great at preparation on how frequently uh, Simmons and Butler defended Kawhi and how well they did. Uh, that's probably something we should look at. Probably, but it's, a, uh, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. My, my gut says, Simmons on Kawhi to start and Butler on Lowry, but I think there's I think there's arguments to be made both ways.
2: I think it's close. Like I I don't think there's an obvious answer. I don't think that you're going to look at Which by the way, this, Kawhi
0: averaged 30 points a game against the Sixers, so I don't think whatever they've done, I don't think it's necessarily worth looking at too much anyway cuz it hasn't worked.
2: I will say this though. I just I watched one of the games this morning and he like just made a living off of wide open spot up threes. Like he just happened to get open for a bunch of shots, so I don't think it was like him uh, torching the Sixers off the dribble or anything, but I don't, I just don't think that there's like a huge difference between the Simmons Kawhi matchup and the Butler Kawhi matchup. Like, I, I think that Simmons probably gets the edge. I think he'd probably be better just because I think Kawhi plays such a physical game and having the sturdier guy on him would probably help. But, um, but I, I just think, you know, I think it's a pretty thin, uh, race between the two of them as to who's, who would be better defending Kawhi. Um, just probably not worth losing a ton of sleep over for the Sixers' sake.
1: So if that's the case, I, I wonder if you say we're gonna just try and take Kyle Lowry out of the series. And j- just like Kawhi kind of Well, she did a pretty good job of that last series. Yeah, and I mean, like, look, sometimes uh sometimes Lowry has struggled just just on his own. You know, he's he's had well documented playoff struggles. I-, I wouldn't count on that happening again. Um but just just in general, I think the Sixers like the way they win this series is a couple of things. Embiid has to be awesome, and two, they really have to guard against these guys because I, I don't think they're going to score super efficiently against this team. So, so the way they do it is is by limiting Toronto on the other end, and that's you know that's easier said than done. But it'll, uh, I, I'll be curious to see what they do there because I, I do think there are options both ways. Maybe they maybe they change it up a little bit.
0: All right. So Keys, obviously Simmons Embiid, uh defending Lowry, taking him out of the series, being effective on Kawhi, not giving him those broken play opportunities, I guess. Um predictions. Who do you think wins and why? How many games?
2: Uh I think it's going seven games. Wow. I think yeah. I think it's gonna be a great series. I really do. Um I think Toronto's playing unbelievable defense right now. I mean, try not to get fooled by watching that Orlando series, given just that they're Orlando and they don't have a ton of weapons, but like some of just like the, the the rotations from Toronto's end were just like unbelievable. And they look like a team of guys that's been playing together for 10 years. Um, And they just like, they have so many smart guys and just physically capable guys. I think they're going to be able to, turn the Sixers into like just kind of like an isolation, like one-on-one offensive play type stuff. And they have a lot of capable defenders. But, you know, obviously the Sixers have like one of the most potent offensive starting lineups in the league. So I just think that's going to be a really fun battle to watch is the Sixers offense against Toronto's one-on-one defense. Um, And I think that, you know, just building off of the defensive performance that we saw against Brooklyn um, with Simmons and Butler just – just taking that to sort of a, the next level. Um, I will say this, like, it, it, it is, like, if I'm the Sixers, it would make me nervous that, like, a lot of the stuff we're talking about, like, my God, like, what do the Sixers do with Kawhi on Simmons? And, like, you know, you worry about, like, Gasol and Embiid, and, like, what do you do at backup center? Like, you don't say any of that stuff about Toronto. Like, it's, no. it's still – I still feel like this series is going to be really close – but like almost every problem we're trying to solve here, just everything, every dynamic we're discussing, like shifts in Toronto's favor. I can't think of like one dynamic in this series where like, oh, the Sixers are going to kill him with that. I mean, there's, like, like Rich said earlier, there's not like a D'Angelo Russell on Jimmy Butler, or Tobias Harris. where are like, the Sixers can exploit that. Like that, that doesn't really exist. And we're just we keep talking about how the Sixers can adapt to defend Toronto or to match up to Toronto. And we're not talking about it the other way because I don't think those dynamics really exist. And that's probably why I'd take Toronto ultimately in this series.
1: Yeah. That's the idea of, of viewing the playoffs through like the, the regular season is viewed through how, you know, you can kind of exploit your biggest strengths against teams. The playoffs are more about how bad is your worst weakness. And, and in that, in that sense, Toronto definitely has an edge here.
0: Yeah. I think if you're looking at where the Sixers might have advantages, on the glass. Like I think Toronto's a pretty average rebounding team getting yeah. to the free throw line. They don't get to the free throw line all that much. Um, so maybe you can get some extra possessions out of this thing. Uh, that tends to, I think it was Dean Oliver who sort of tweeted out not too long ago, like how much each thing correlates with winning. And those two weren't a very strong indicator. Um, the quality of shots that you get typically are. And Toronto is third in effective field goal percentage on offense and fourth in defense. That's sort of why they're really tough. They also generally win the turnover battle. Uh, They're about league average offensively and top 10 and and forcing turnovers. So those, I mean, they just don't have sort of, even on the glass, like they're kind of like a mid-pack rebounding team, not really a bad rebounding team. So there's, like you said, there's not necessarily a fatal flaw that you can exploit, whether that's as a team or even individually in terms of their personnel. Like you don't have a Boban type playing major minutes you don't have tj mcconnell trying to you know you don't have the tj mcconnell you can switch your best scores on or you don't have ben simmons and being able to take advantage of his lack of shooting um there's just they, they probably don't have quite the uh quite the highs that the sixers have either um but they certainly don't have the lows and i think that's why i mean i do think toronto is a better team i think they're a tough matchup for the Sixers, I think coming into the playoffs, I would have said Toronto in 5. I just didn't like the matchup at all. I think the Sixers played well enough and and the starting lineup played well enough and Butler playoff Butler looks like it is a very much a thing and you know Ben Simmons came together defensively like he hasn't for much of the season. At least at a consistency that he hasn't. So like I'm willing to go 6 or 7. Um probably lean 6 if I had to choose but I do think Toronto is the better team and should be the favorite here.
1: Yeah. I'll go Toronto six to, um, the, uh, um, I think that, uh, Jimmy Butler, like that was, um, one one of the games you were talking about earlier, Mike, like, um, the game in December, he had 38 points. Uh, that's going to be a matchup to look for. Like who is Kyle Lowry guarding him? Can, Can he kind of exploit, uh, exploit what toronto does on that end of the floor um yeah it's like it's like you guys said uh I, I just think like toronto just they just have like a few less weaknesses um you know we'll see what joel does against uh against gasol but i would uh i would lean towards toronto i'm, I'm looking at that box score right now by the way the sixers bench in that game muscala 23 minutes Shamit, 17 minutes mcconnell 23 minutes and cork seven minutes. minutes yeah, so was bad yeah, it's better now. Like, I think, I think it's fair to say they're in a better spot. Oh, Wilson Chandler, 26 minutes in the starting lineup as well. So it's a little bit better now. And that's, that's kind of what we were talking about. Like you could take some things from those games, but the Sixers are in a better spot with their roster. Certainly. Uh, I will say Toronto and six, uh, I would be impressed by the Sixers if they were able to get it to seven. And I do think, you know, we could talk about this when the series happens, but how the series unfolds, even if the Sixers lose, could have a major effect on this offseason. And uh, I think being competitive here is is very important.
2: I agree. Oh, for sure. Um, I mean you're
0: you're gonna ask two star level players to be third and fourth options offensively. And you know, that's sometimes a hard sell to make. You have to be willing to pre- or be capable of proving that you are a legitimate title contender. And if they go out in four or five games, that's a tougher sell to make. If they go out in six or seven games, you can go come back and say, "Look, you know, an off season of or a, se- a whole season of playing together and a, a preseason of getting to know each other, we can come back and take that next step." So a game or two difference in terms of competitiveness could go a long way. Um, and I guess wrapping up now, Mike, finish since I cut him off like I always do. You know, if I say like, if I pick Raptors, like that's probably like a 70% chance Raptors win is probably what I'm thinking in my head. That's still a th- three out of 10 times the Sixers can pull it off. And with this team, I'd say there's probably more variance in those kind of, you know, estimations because the Sixers are so new because they have so much high end talent because the starting lineup is what it is that it could, you know, I'd say there's more swing. The margin of error is probably higher than it typically would be. So I certainly think they had the talent to surprise us. Um, but if you're going to force me to pick, which this is what we're doing, that is a way that I would lean.
2: Um, yeah, all good points. and I, I think that, I, th- I think you guys are totally right that this series just has a monumental impact on what will ultimately happen this off season. And, you know, we, we don't know what's going through the heads of Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris right now, but we know that it will certainly be impacted by what happens in this series. Um, but one other thing I did want to ask you guys, do you guys see any like changes to the rotation at all coming in this series? Do you think that Brett stays with an eight-man rotation? Do you think TJ McConnell has any place at all in this series? Um, what do you guys think? I do not.
1: I think it'll be an eight-man rotation. I mean, the only rationale would be to guard Van Vliet, but on the other end, like, wouldn't you just want to try and exploit him defensively with a bigger bigger group maybe uh you know if he's guarding yeah. if he's guarding ennis on those bench units james ennis loves being a go guy more than anybody loves anything <laughs> in the world i've never like every interview he does he just says how much he loves being told he can get offensive rebounds um i, I think that's something to to look at but to me it seems like this is going to be two eight man rotations
0: yeah i mean Bolden and bobon i think would be the uh, the only one
2: yeah, I was going to say if the NBA were ever to go to the XFL and uh, let guys put nicknames on the back of their jersey, James Ennis would 100 percent be a go go guy. guy. That would be his jersey, <laughs> Loves it. and it would be a top seller. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm with you on TJ Rich. I, I think that whatever benefit you get from him defending Van Fleet is totally not worth it in comparison to the spacing you're giving up on the other end. Um, and I think that and it's a it's like you said
0: earlier, like. Kawhi and and Pascal and and Danny Green they're so good off ball defenders too right. that any any additional lack of spacing you provide them is just something they can they can really attack. Like, like
1: you're going to need James Ennis to hit shots in this series. That's you're going to need a game where James Ennis hits some open threes and uh, probably more than a game. And and TJ I just I don't think he can do that. It's by the way big series for the Raptors too. If you beat them, like you could make them a much worse team. Over the next couple of years, I mean, I don't, I don't pretend to know what's going on in Kawhi Leonard's head, but I think you know a lot of the reporting is that he might be out of, out the door anyway, regardless of what happens. I, I don't know if that's the case, but I, I certainly don't think it would hurt to uh, to knock them out in the second round if you could do it. I mean, we're talking about future years here. Like, if if this starting five is together, you know, Toronto is as constituted is one of the big roadblocks they're going to face. Well, if Kawhi's not there anymore. They're
2: not. I've I've felt for a while like the Sixers, if they are able to keep Butler and Harris, like next year is is probably their year where you like truly expect this team to contend for a title. Not that you don't think it's possible now, but like a, this, this Sixers team with another year of continuity and um and hypothetically putting together a a decent bench this offseason. It, will, Plus, it better
0: you know, not be hypothetically.
2: <laughs> right, right. And getting it, you know, hopefully like guys like Zaire Smith or Jonah Bolden making the next step. You sign a mid-level guy, maybe resign Scott. I don't know if, you know, they're interested in that. But, um, you know, just another year, Connie. That's, I, I've felt that way for a long time. So, like you said, if they're able to knock this Raptors team out, send Kawhi packing to the West Coast, um, could be a huge series for the long-term scope of things
1: and I like the way this team is playing right now. You know, this is like losing Toronto to Toronto in six or seven would not be embarrassing to me. It, it, you know, obviously the front office and the ownership have really raised the expectations for this year. And again, we'll see, we'll see what that means if they do lose. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't think like losing to a team that I think is capable of winning an NBA championship is, is like some major failure. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if they view it that way, if they're close, but they don't get it.
0: That it will, uh, for all four teams. I mean, you can throw Boston into that mix too. Oh yeah. Uh, Milwaukee seems like they have s- slightly less at stake here because the guys that they have coming up in, re- in free agency uh, seem a little more committed to staying there, or at least there's fewer reports out there about them potentially leaving. But for all four of these teams, like expectations are sky high, consequences are sky high, which should make for some incredible drama. Probably a good good time to cut it off. Thank you guys for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon.
1: See you, man. Sounds good.
2: It ain't hard to tell. I excel, then prevail. The mic is contacted. I attract clientele. My mic check is like for death breathing, a sniper's breath. I
0: exhale the yellow smoke of Buddha through righteous steps.